You have a spare tire. What about spare parts? This is Eric Stark with the Smart RVer podcast, delivering the smarts you need to enjoy the freedom of the RV lifestyle without the fear of breaking down. So on some of the past episodes, I was talking about our 100th episode, which was coming up supposed to be on May 6th. Well, we've changed that to May 27th. That's going to be a live event on YouTube. But the reason why it's changed is because of our scheduling. I was going to go for a weekly podcast starting in May, but there's just too much going on. We're going to stick, uh, excuse me, stick with the bi-weekly uh, schedule. Much easier to do right now. There's just too many things happening. So rather than skipping episodes, missing them all together, we just decided to stick with the bi-weekly. Makes it a little bit easier. We're working on getting some episodes in the bank so we can get to a weekly schedule, but it's hard to do. Just so much happening. And also in July is the time to come to Montana. And we want to encourage everybody who listens to the podcast to come to Montana in July. Come by the store. We're in the Bitterroot Valley, which is an awesome place. Come meet us. We want to meet you. We're going to have some things happening here. We got some suppliers that want to donate products. We're going to have the studio open. You can see what we do. And if you need any things done that we do when you're here, we can certainly accommodate you. I already have some people booking up for solar, for awnings and different things. So we look forward to you to come and visit with us. Now let's get into the show, living the RV life. New RVs are hitting the, the showrooms. And there's RVs for all the different lifestyles. There are so many different RVs on the market today. It's incredible compared to years ago, decades ago, or, you know, it'd be like trailers and motorhomes, fifth wheels, trailers and motorhomes. That'd be it. Take it or leave it. There'd be a small, you know, some micro RVs or micro minis as they were called. But today, have you gone out and looked at new RVs? And now I'm not advocating to go buy a new RV. If you like your RV and everything's working on it, stick with it. But if you go look, you know, ask yourself, are the new RVs impressive or unimpressive? And there's a reason why I asked that question. And we're going to get to that in a moment. See, your new RVs, they come ready for, you know, the modern society. They have USB ports on them. They're solar ready. Well, solar ready is kind of a loose term. Some of them do come with solar panels on them. It's a hundred watt panel in a lot of cases. It's the beginning of a solar system, but it's not really an awesome solar system, but it gets you started. Solar ready sometimes is a is a gland on the roof where you can connect solar panels and it's wired inside where you can put your charge controller. Saves a lot of labor for the installer later on. Some of them just come with a port on the side of the RV designed for solar, uh, portable solar. So if you go to a dealership and you're talking solar or they're talking solar, you figure out what it is, if that's what you, or how they've done it, if that's what you need or not. If you want solar on the roof and they've just got a port on the side of the RV, that might not be the solution for you. So double check that. Don't just take their word for it. And I've seen solar ready claims on RVs where solar ready doesn't always mean solar ready. It's kind of ready. And some of the places where they put the charge controller is absolutely ridiculous. You know, in order to make it easier for them, I've seen it in compartments where you have to stick your head in there with a flashlight to actually read the charge controller. It's not always that great. So be aware of that. But they have central console systems that look like an iPad, you know, like Jayco Command. Um, I forget the other one that's pretty popular. So it's a command center, basically. 
and you know you tap on the screen and you, you get it to do what you want it to do open up your slide outs turn on the furnace hit you know turn on the ac bring out the awning and then you know generally you can connect that with an app to your smartphone so you can do it anywhere multi-zone air conditioning systems i mean new rvs are just packed with electronics they're getting friendlier towards uh computers in an rv whether it's a laptop you know they're trying to be a little more office oriented if you will there's even electric rvs out now thor and winnebago have a class b and you know they sound pretty impressive you know maybe 300 miles on a charge um i forget all the details on that i'm not sure if it's level one level two or tesla type charging systems which there's a variable there level one's 110 volt level two's 220 and tesla is 440 so it's going to charge up them batteries in no time so with all the electronics like the touchpad you know that's in the center of the rv or wherever it's at but it controls the rv is that cool is that impressive or is it unimpressive my vote is it's unimpressive at first glance, it seems pretty cool, but from a repair perspective, is it cool? Is that thing always going to work? And when it fails, what's going to happen? Now, just so you know, I've called several RV manufacturers this week trying to get answers on that. Not one person had an answer, and I've got no return phone calls. And that's scary. So I'm a little concerned about that. If they're not going to return my phone calls, and yeah, granted, I'm not you know some big hotshot here in the podcast world for RVs, but they don't know if I'm a consumer or not, and they wouldn't return my phone calls. And talking to the people there, some of them didn't even know their RVs had it on it. They're like, huh, what, what's that? And so it makes me wonder if that touchpad fails, you know, it looks like your iPad, if it fails, what happens on your trip? You know, is there a way to override the systems? Can you still bring your slide outs in? I would imagine, and I haven't talked to any technicians about this that are familiar with it. It's still newer technology and it's something we don't deal with here. So, you know, it's not in my wheelhouse per se, but trying to learn about it is kind of interesting. But electronics in general, you know, if you buy an RV that's jam-packed with electronics, do you think the dealership where you bought it from is going to be able to take care of all your problems? Probably not. So you have to be aware of that. So think about it. The electronics in the, in the RV industry are fairly new. I mean, Bluetooth, they've just kind of got that figured out. You know, it takes them a long time to get this stuff dialed in. It's not like a car manufacturer where when they put Bluetooth in a car, it's going to work. When they, you know, do stuff like that in a car, it works. When they do it in a jet, it works. But in RVs, it takes a while. And I'm always a little leery of the apps. You know, is the company going to be here today and gone tomorrow? Are you going to be able to get parts for it down the road if it fails? When that app quit working, is it going to be because your uh, electronics are outdated now and you've got to do a $500 or $1,000 upgrade? that might not really be the simplest upgrade to do, put in a new touchpad because yours is too old now. So those are things to consider. Does the touchpad have to be updated on the internet from time to time? You know, it's like so many other things. If you don't do those updates, eventually it stops working, and then it's almost impossible to get it back on track. Like, you know, some smart TVs can be that way. Without those updates, 
they're not so smart after all. So that's my deal. It's I think from a, a repair standpoint, new RVs are unimpressive. They have some really cool things, but until it's proven that they can get repaired, people know how to work on them. To me, it's unimpressive. You buy a car, you don't worry about it. You buy an RV, you might have to worry about it. Now, speaking of electric-powered RVs or electric power in general, there's a new lithium-ion battery or LIFE-PO battery that I'm going to be talking about in the near future. Working on details with the manufacturer before I say their name, I want them to have these this product in my store. But for right now, it's a game-changer. And I have this one thing to say. Look out, Battleborn. And I've been a Battleborn fan. Look out, Battleborn. All right, now staying on the road. This is the section of the show I always love talking about because it's more about maintenance and education. And So I got an email from Frank, and he had some great questions. I don't have them all in front of me, but I went through this email. I'm going to have to pull it up. But a lot of questions about various things. And one of them has to do with spare parts. And that's the title of, the sh- of the, this, you know, or this entire episode. You have a spare tire. What about spare parts? See, that's Frank's question. What about spare parts? So I'm sure everybody that owns an RV has pulled a rabbit out of their hat by producing a spare part that saved the day. You know what I mean? Something breaks in the RV. You're out camping. The family's looking at you. Come on, dad. Come on, dad. Do something. And you pull this water fitting out. It's the only one you had, and you had it by chance. You bought two of them, and one was a, you know, was a mistake. You're going to return it. You never did. But that turns out to be the part that saved the day. We've all been there. When you act like a hero, yeah, I knew we'd need this. You know, one day I, I bought this on you know purpose. You know, you, <laughs> you exaggerated a little bit, and that's all right. But how many spare parts do you really want to keep in your RV? How many spare parts should you carry in your RV? You know, for everybody, that's probably going to be a little bit different. You can tie up a lot of money in spare parts, and you might never really need them out on a trip. And sometimes by the time you get around to using it, it might be destroyed because it sat in your RV so long. So that's what we're going to cover today. Now, the first thing I'm going to talk about is appliances. You have a water heater, a furnace, an air conditioner, you know, water pump. Um, Those are kind of the main things. You might have a fireplace in lieu of a furnace. So, you know, what kind of spare parts do you want to have? Do you want to carry circuit boards? You know, your your furnace circuit board, your water heater circuit board, they're going to fail more often than anything else. But do you want to carry a spare? Now, depending on your water heater and your furnace, that circuit board might actually be interchangeable. Um, good chance of that. It might not be ideal. Maybe it's you have an Atwood water uh, water heater and it's got a, a uh, oh, I can't think of the term now, a potted board. So it might be a potted board. In other words, it's in a plastic case and filled with this uh, clear glue, basically, that holds it all together, keeps it waterproof and from rattling. But, you know, you don't have to have a potted board to get yourself through a trip. So circuit boards are going to depend. Oh, I didn't mention refrigerators. Refrigerators are a big appliance on an RV, and they do fail. Now, here's my take on circuit boards. They're somewhat fragile when they're not installed. You wouldn't want to leave it in the box they come in because generally they're not packaged that great for bouncing down the road for maybe months or years. 
you know, they're put in a package to get them shipped to a business or a store. So a circuit board might be a little dicey. You know, if it's an Atwood water heater and it's a potted board, buying one of those and keeping it someplace where it's not going to bounce as much would probably be okay. A furnace circuit board, possibly. But here's what I would do. If I'm going to carry a, a spare furnace circuit board or water heater circuit board, I wouldn't carry a refrigerator board. Too expensive, and they have several boards in a refrigerator, and, you know, it's just not the same. But I would put the new board into the appliance. So if I bought a, a spare furnace circuit board, I'd just put it in the appliance and make the used board the spare. You know it works. You take it out. You wrap it in foam. Put it in some place where it's going to be protected. I wouldn't put it in a compartment. I'd find a place in the RV for it. And I do that with some of the stuff, the more fragile things. That way they don't get destroyed bouncing around. You know, if you put it in a kitchen cabinet wrapped in foam, mark on it, circuit board, you know it's there. It's not going to be bouncing down the road and, you know, in a compartment getting smashed by other things or in a toolbox. You have to think about that. And, you know, I bring this up too because, you know, I've had technicians driving vans before and, you know, they're 100% mobile and they put circuit boards in there and, you know, all of a sudden, oh, these circuit boards aren't good anymore because they've been bouncing around for way too long. You know, ask, you know, and they left it in the van. They forgot about it. And so it ruins them. That's my thinking on that. Now, there's other parts on furnaces and water heaters. There's thermostats. There's ECOs. There's relay switches. There's uh, motors. There's gas valves. I don't think I would carry any of that stuff. If you had an Atwood water heater, suburban water heater, and if you wanted to carry a thermostat around, maybe you could. See, all this stuff becomes budgetary, too. If you have an unlimited budget and you have a way to protect stuff, then carry it all. But if you have a limited budget, you want to be cautious and have the things that are going to fail. Oh, that can be a bigger problem. Generally, you can get by without heat. You know, even hot water you can get by without. But you got to have water, right? So that leads us into the next thing is water fittings. You know, most RVs have PEX in them. And they have a PEX-type fitting. And some of the RVs, you know, they... They have like a, a line that's pre-made. It comes from the factory and it might have a half inch pipe thread or female pipe thread on each end. And then the line might be three eight. Sometimes it's quarter inch. You might not be able to find a line like that. I mean, I have a hard time finding some of that stuff. It's all OEM driven. In other words, the manufacturers buying those things and putting them on. They're pre-made. But you can replace that. You can swap that out with a PEX tubing and uh, fittings, a flare-it fittings, for example, if you wanted to. And that's what most people end up doing. So you look at your water system, and you're going to determine what size water lines you have, what size would be a replacement for it. You know, quite often it's just the same for same. You have three-eighths and half-inch and three-quarter, but you might have some quarter-inch in there or an odd metric size. But the threaded portion of it's the same as like what a flaret fitting would be. And, and, you know, I'm kind of pro flaret fittings. They work in all circumstances. There are times where a C-Tech fitting, which the, the PEX tubing pushes into, similar to a shark bite, except it's all plastic and not part brass and a lot cheaper. You know, it'll push in and for tight places that might be easier. But I would carry extra PEX tubing based on what your RV has in it. If it's all half inch and maybe a little bit three eighths, you know, just carry a little bit of three eighths and 
maybe a little more half inch, like a five foot section of half inch, a two foot section of three eighths, or if you want to carry five and five, whatever you want to do. If you don't have any three quarter, then don't carry any three quarter. Um, we don't sell that much three quarter inch type PEX fitting or PEX line or flare at fittings. So you look at what you have and what you can adapt to. And I wouldn't go crazy because there's really only a few fittings you need. You know, a, a PEX by half inch female flare, PEX by half inch male flare, PEX to PEX. Um, you know, you get the picture here, a couple 90s, and this what I just mentioned. There's not a lot you have to carry. And if you look at your RV, you'll see that, like your toilet has a half-inch pipe thread on it. Your faucets are half-inch pipe thread. You know, your your uh, water pump's half-inch pipe thread. Some of them are barbed, but most of them are half-inch pipe thread. So it makes it a little bit easier, and it doesn't take that long to really look and see what you have. Maybe snap some pictures of each thing, spread them out on your phone or your computer or your tablet, and see what you got, and then buy accordingly. I've been asked to do this, and I've haven't done it, but I want to put together a kit for, you know, water repair fittings, an emergency kit. Um, it's in the works at some level. Like I said, we have so much going on all the time. It's just, it's just crazy how busy we are with so many different things. We're not your typical RV store. That's for sure. So your air conditioner, I wouldn't even worry about that. I wouldn't carry anything for that unless you have an air conditioner. It always has a something going bad on it that you need to constantly replace a part on it you know i wouldn't otherwise i wouldn't even worry about it a water pump i wouldn't carry anything for a water pump i wouldn't carry a spare water pump um, water pumps can last a long time now if you're out dry camping a lot and you're really concerned about it a spare water pump would be okay but i would put the new well i don't know maybe i'll just put the new one in the leave it in the box put it away and leave the old one in there um, and just let it, it die. But it could be years before that water pump gets used or you have to replace it. So I would maybe not, I mean, I personally wouldn't carry a spare water pump. In fact, a lot of the stuff I, I say that is because it's what I would or wouldn't do. And, you know, remember, I get this stuff cheaper than you get it for, and I still wouldn't carry it. You know, faucets, I wouldn't carry a spare faucet. I wouldn't carry spare parts for a faucet. If it dies, breaks, or whatever, if you have the right um, pit fittings on board, you can get by without a faucet. You know, you can bypass it, cap off the line, plug off the line. You can do whatever and get by without a faucet for a weekend or something like that. Then if there's an RV parts store nearby and you feel like tackling it while you're out on, the, you know, out on your trip, then you can go buy a faucet. It's not a big deal. They're going to be the same price in, in most RV stores. I know some are just absolute bandits when it comes to some of this stuff like there's a store near us about 35 miles away that is three to four times higher in prices than everybody else but that's besides the point but even if you have to overpay out on the road sometimes it's better than carrying one it's just bouncing around in, in your rv you know and that's the big thing is just bouncing around in an rv then how many parts do you need do you have a spare faucet for your house probably not you need to just think about what you want to carry and how much. So right now we're at maybe a, a, a circuit board for a water heater and furnace, some PEX or excuse me, PEX tubing and flaret fittings. Now let's talk about LP hoses and regulators. You know, if you have an auto changeover regulator, the two hoses that go to that are the ones that fail the most out of anything on your RV. Those are going to be the culprits. You know, a lot of RVs, newer ones come with a, 
you know, rubber propane hoses on them, going right to the refrigerator and other appliances. They're installed in such a way it can be a nightmare to replace, but that's the way it is. But I wouldn't carry those as spares, even though it's not that far-fetched of a hose. It's probably going to last a lot longer because it's covered, it's out of sight. You know, generally it's concealed, so it's not going to be exposed to the elements as much as a propane hose that's attached to a regulator. So the two hoses that are on the regulator, the auto changeover regulator, I would carry spare ones of those. And I would leave the new ones in the RV, leave the old ones on the regulator because they smell like propane. Once you take them off, you'll always be smelling that. The new ones don't smell like propane. But just make sure you buy the right ones. And the big difference is not the fitting that goes on the tank. It's the fitting that goes in the regulator. Most auto changeover regulators have a adapter in them it goes from quarter inch male pipe thread to quarter inch inverted flare so you got to make sure that your propane hoses either have quarter inch pipe thread on the end of it or quarter inch inverted flare okay so you have to remember that the inverted flare if you buy the hose with the inverted flare you got to make sure your regulator has that if you bought hoses with a quarter inch male pipe thread you could take out that adapter fitting and just screw the line right into your regulator so there's some workarounds but it's just easier to buy the right hose so after you buy them match them up and make sure and i wouldn't carry a spare regulator um i know when it fails it can ruin the the trip because now you have no propane but you know it's another thing that's going to bounce around it's probably going to get dirty you know unless you can wrap that baby up and keep it in the rv you know someplace you know, you don't want to fill them with dirt. You don't want it to get wet, things like that. You don't want it to get smashed. You want it to just sit someplace and ride like an egg would. You know, you don't want to. It's They're a little fragile. A lot of the stuff's fragile until it's hooked up. You could carry one. It might be worth it. might not. They do fail. It seems like they fail more these days than they did years ago. I remember, you know, 30 years ago. Well, heck, every now and then we get someone walks in with a regular that's 30 years old. You know, but we get more people walking with regulators that are five years old. But there is a cheaper, actually, there are several cheap brands out there that the OEMs use, the manufacturers use. That's up to you. That's up to your budget. But I'd carry the LP hoses that go from the tank to the regulator. Now, you know, you have drains in the RV, you know, that go to the sink and such. I wouldn't even mess with that. Light bulbs. I'd carry maybe a couple of your common light bulbs unless you have LEDs. If you have LEDs, I wouldn't carry any spares. Wait until one goes out. They, you know, go for 10,000 hours. You're probably not going to have to replace one unless it just fails, you know, just prematurely. And that's fine, but I wouldn't carry spare bulbs for LEDs. I'd carry spare light bulbs if you have uh, incandescent light bulbs like 1141s, 1076s. I would carry, you know, a couple of each, 921. Some of your basic bulbs are not too expensive. You know, they can bounce around a little bit. So that makes it easy. I wouldn't carry spare light fixtures. They generally don't fail too often. If you have fluorescent tubes in your RV, um, fluorescent lights, I'd maybe carry one one tube, maybe, but I'd probably just wait for those to fail because those go for a long time. You know, sometimes you carry these spare parts and they're sitting in your RV forever. Then if you forget you have them and you don't rotate them through the system, then they sit there even longer. Like if you have spare light bulbs, use the spares and just replace the spares. Same with propane hoses, things like that. Don't buy new ones and just leave your spare ones there. Use the spares up first. It's kind of like if you're doing food storage, you know, you rotate the older food out, keep the fresh food in stock. Okay, wheel bearings, hums, 
hubs, drums, leaf springs, things like that. Entirely up to you. I would recommend it carrying at least one set of wheel bearings and grease seal. So you have that in case you have a problem out on the road, at least you can get one wheel going and you might have a good set of bearings without having to take the others apart. You got the numbers off them. Um, at least one set, two sets would probably be more ideal just in case, you know, if one bearing goes bad, you're the rest your other two or your other wheel or other three wheels might have the same problem going on. Hubs and drums, if you have a smaller trailer and it doesn't have a drum on it, you know, it's not a drum brake system, I'd maybe carry one hub. Drums, I wouldn't carry drums. I would just stay on top of the wheel bearings and make sure they're greased and they're tightened properly. Leaf springs, I would definitely carry a spare leaf spring. They break. Trailers aren't rated properly. Smaller leaf springs are put on. You know, things happen. And leaf springs, you're not just going to walk into the store and buy a leaf spring in a lot of areas. You're going to be stuck. They're going to have to order it. Having one leaf spring can make or break the day. And then the hangers that attach to the leaf springs also would be great. Spare tire, I'd have at least one good spare tire. Remember, the spare tire ages. So if it's five years old and never been used, it's bad. Whether you like it or not, that tire is bad. I have a tire. Actually, I did an episode, a deal on YouTube. No, it was a podcast episode about tires and brand new spare tire just blew out on the spare tire carrier. It was five years old or seven years old, seven years old. And it looked brand new, never touched the pavement. So spare tires, small hardware parts, drawers, cabinets, things like that. That's up to you. There's a lot of plastic parts that are inexpensive. You can carry them. Sometimes when a drawer, you know, won't stay closed, traveling can become a nightmare or a cabinet door won't stay shut. So I would look and see what you have and maybe just buy one of those parts. Depends, you know, on your budget again. You know, if you, a drawer cabinet, a drawer, ca- you know, things like that, a tie back for any rolling doors you have or sliding doors. Um, those tie backs break and that can become a problem. Having a spare one of those would be good. Vent lids, maybe I'd have a spare. If I had space for it, I probably would. An operator, probably, for the vent lid. Just make sure you buy ones that are right for the RV so you don't get out on the road and you go to replace it and it's not the right one. Remember, you sit on it for a long time, you're not going to be able to return it either. So that's my take on spare parts. So I'm going to have more of this on the website as well under this episode, number 98. Get into a little more, a bit more in detail our next stop is death valley california and what a unique place that is because it's in the desert it's hot it's warm it has a great reputation i've never been there but it doesn't sound all that appealing so alexis why would i want to go to death valley california that's a good question and it is very hot um in the desert but there are also a lot of things to see there's several ghost towns um that were left there uh, and they have a lot of neat things that you can check out as you travel through okay very good and by the way alexis is our local rv guru on destination so she knows them all inside and out she might not agree <laughs> with me but okay so now there's ghost towns there remains of them so were there any of these ghost towns that would really stand out as like back in the day being like major towns or yeah there's actually uh three of them that i would definitely recommend visiting the first one um is rhyolite 
it, it was huge. At one time, it had 10,000 people. And it even had its own newspaper and a three-story bank, which was kind of unheard of out there. And that bank, um, there still remains to it to see. Okay, very good. That's pretty impressive. Now, were there any other towns out there that were similar to that? or? Yeah, there's a couple more. Um, Ballarat was a, was a really interesting one to see. It was only um you know inhabited for about eight years but there's still a few wooden buildings left behind that you can check out and then there is chloride city and that's located in the funeral mountains kind of in the saddle there and that was uh famous for finding silver ore there okay very good so funeral mountains that seems apropos to me um you know <laughs> the middle of the desert a million degrees out and you know you think about that that rhyolite ghost town having a three-story bank, 10,000 people living in the middle of the desert like that. And Death Valley is known for how harsh it is. Man, there must have been something really drawing the people there. <laughs> Obviously, it was mining, but still, nonetheless, that's a, a big thing to overcome. So besides the, the towns, the ghost towns that are there, what else is there to see? Yeah, there's some other interesting things. For one, um, there's a castle in the middle of the desert. It's called Scotty's Castle. And the architecture inside was inspired by um, many Mediterranean um, styles. It's it's right in the heart of Death Valley. It's uh, it's kind of known around there. So if you ask a local, they'll help you be able to find it. So you can check it out. Yeah, I've heard of Scotty's Castle. I've seen a couple of pictures of it. Nothing really like a postcard type picture. But it's always intrigued me a little bit and why it was there. That's interesting. But, you know, if you tell everybody you're looking for it, then they know you're a visitor. You set yourself up to get robbed or something, right? <laughs> That's true. So, okay, so what else is unique about um, uh, Death Valley? You know, one other fun fact is the uh, that Star Wars was actually filmed in the valley. Um, there's several scenes that if you are a movie lover, you'll recognize in the background. Um, so you can kind of go into this trip with that in mind and just enjoy seeing where Star Wars was filmed. <laughs> well, that's pretty cool. Now, would you recommend dressing up as Captain Kirk or, or whatever if you're going <laughs> to go visit Death Valley? Uh, that might not be the best. <laughs> All right. So if you're a Trekkie fan, you might want to leave your gear at home. <laughs> that's right. Maybe what are those things called? The Lightsaber? No, the little monitor you have when you landed on a new planet. Um, Captain Kirk and them. I forget what it's called. (laughs) I don't remember. (laughs) Make sure that it's safe to be there. All right. So anyway, you probably want to leave that at home too. Now, what about food? There's got to be food there. Yeah. There's a really good saloon. It's called the Last Kind Word Saloon. It's right right in the heart of the desert. Um, There's also Roaming Dog Kitchen, which isn't too far away. It's in Ridgecrest. And then there's Scion Flavor, which is a Thai place in the same in the same town, Ridgecrest. Okay, very good. Yeah, Ridgecrest. I know where that's at. This isn't too far. Now, last kinds, last kind words saloon. Just gotta love those names. <laughs> you know, it's just I wonder how many gunfights took place back. You know, back in the day because of the last kind words someone had to say. <laughs> All right. Now, since we're RVers, where are we gonna park our RV at for the night or for the week or weekend? You know, there's a couple options. You can stay right in the park um, at Mesquite Springs. That has some good amenities. There's also Furnace Creek. Um, That's quite a large one, so you should be able to find a spot. And if you want to stay just a little bit outside the actual uh, national park, there's also Desert Empire RV Park, which is a nice one. 
Okay, very good. So there's RV parks there, and I'm sure you can tent camp there and kind of do what you want to do. But if you have an RV, there's definitely some places to stay. Now, would you recommend somebody calling ahead just to be sure that they'd have available spaces? Yeah, I absolutely would. Um, each one of those has a website. So if you want to just type it in, get the number, I would definitely call ahead. Okay, perfect. Now, I'm thinking I'd like to go in there in the middle of summer. Would that be the best time to visit? You know, if you're going to go to Death Valley in the middle of the summer, you're probably going to be kind of miserable. Um, I would recommend maybe going in the winter. And actually, the spring is supposed to be very beautiful beautiful because the flowers are in bloom there. Well, that's true. The desert in the springtime is really an awesome sight to see. All right, perfect. So that's Death Valley, California. And with our local expert, Alexis, explaining us what to see or what there is to see there, RV Envy. Here's the coolest little item I've seen in a while for propane tanks. You have one of these, you will definitely be cool. Well, whatever your definition of cool is. So Mopeka makes this wireless propane gauge and it'll work on a single tank or dual tanks and i'm going to have these on our website but they're really nice and you know the smaller gauges the stick on ones they've seemed to have just gone off the market i don't know what happened there was a lawsuit but they're gone there's one that'll go into the fitting of the tank and they're you know about 45 50 bucks it's a gauge leak detector they work good you know some mechanical gauge basically so it's going to work good problem free but this mopeka one there's an app that you can put on your phone so you can check your gauges from wherever and it also has a receiver that can go inside your rv which will also check the gauges so you can check it either way if you don't want a monkey with the app then you can just use the receiver inside the rv and these things install real easy they're not a big problem the only thing I see with this is if you get your propane tanks filled, you take them off your RV and take it in. The transmitter on the bottom of the tank, that's where it mounts. It mounts with magnets. I would just take that off so it doesn't fall off while you're transporting your tank. And there's three little spacers that have to go on the bottom of the tank. And then they're on there kind of loose. I would take them off as well and just set them aside until you put your tank back in. That's the only downside i see to this it's a nice system it's easy to do you can have this set up and you know as long as is in the amount of time it takes you to take your tanks off and put them back on really is what it's going to take to set up this system it works great and we've sold a lot of these we have not had one return or one complaint check those out there's going to be a link to these on our website at arizona rv parts center excuse me, on our website at the Smart RVer under this episode, taking you to Arizona RV Parts Center, which we've been working on, and we're trying to get the, get the entire inventory up to date, and then we're going to switch the name to the Smart, or actually Smart RV Parts Center. So that's coming soon. So that's more confusion for you. So anyways, check that out, episode 98. Generally, every episode we do, when we talk about anything, that's where you're going to find links for sure. There's always going to be links in other places, but that's just the easiest place to go. So that's going to wrap up our show today, a little longer than normal, but that's the way it goes sometimes. Um, we have so much stuff we're always trying to get out to you guys. It's sometimes these episodes go a little bit long, and it's all right. You're probably driving anyways or working in your garage or working on your RV, right? 
All right, this is Eric Stark with the Smart RVer Podcast. It has been awesome hanging out with you guys today. If I don't see you on the road, let's connect at thesmartrver.com.